welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. So if you didn't catch the first episode with Dr. Cole Whittingham, which was uh, episode 14, I would recommend that you go back and listen to it. Koa gives a really good summary of what, what ACT is and understanding that will give this episode a bit more context. In this episode, we talk about the transition to motherhood and Koa's book, Becoming Mum. Although Becoming a Mum is written for parents transitioning to becoming a mum, I found it really helpful even now that I've been a mum for three and a half years. Here's the third part of the interview with Dr. Koa Whittingham. Okay, so I'd like to actually move on to your book, um, Becoming Mum. Sure. So I've read it and I loved it, um, as I mentioned in the last podcast. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so the psychological shift when I became a parent really caught me by surprise um, mm. and I really wish I'd read your book earlier um, because most, if not all, of the things that threw me are covered there. Um, so what do you think are some of the biggest psychological transitions to motherhood and how can your book, Becoming Mum, help? Wow, the the first part of the question is huge. We could we could talk about that for a ne- the next couple of hours, I think. So, <laughs> what isn't challenging about becoming a mum? I think, yeah. really, I mean, when you stop and actually add it up and think it through, it's it is huge. Mm. I mean, it's it's physically challenging. Mm. Um, so, if you're talking about actually being a the, the biological mum, the birth mother, um, mm. you have the physical challenges of, of, of pregnancy, you know, morning sickness, exhaustion, mm. um, you have birth itself. Um, there's, and that's, you know, just what's standard. There's also all sorts of other complications and, and, and things that could happen as well. Mm. Um, for some mums, I mean, challenges start even before conception because it takes a long time to actually get get that to that phase Mm. um and then there's the the psychological um challenges as well i mean you're you've probably already built up some kind of life for yourself Mm. so hopefully you've built up one that is quite rewarding and enriching Mm. but if you've managed to do that that then kind of gets swept away for the Mm. most part um things change incredibly, you know, dramatically. So you have to rediscover how to live a rewarding life mm. as as a mum. And there's this huge psychological transition to, you know, have, having this, this child that you're then keeping track of kind of 24-7, really, mm. that that's part of your your psychological landscape now is is to be continually tracking this this child this other being and 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 where they're at and what their needs are and and how you're going to meet those needs so that it it really is huge um and there's then there's all the skills you need to learn so um so feeding and 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 how to you know all the little facts and figures and how to take care of an act uh, care of a baby um and it's a whole new relationship so it's getting to know a whole a whole nother person and and find a way for that relationship to work so it, it really is huge so how becoming mum can help becoming mum is a resource for that psychological uh, change um so I, I basically I, I had the idea of writing becoming mum when I was first um trying to become a mum myself and 
as I went through pregnancy, um, it became clearer to me that this was really, really was needed, that there really wasn't a resource out there that was really grounded in the evidence that was based in a, a psychological therapy that was really evidence-based and um, and that also really handled this all these aspects of this psychological transition. So mm-hmm. becoming mum is kind of going to ho- hold your hand through the psychological aspects of, of the transition to help you to be the mum that you want to be at the other end. Yeah, yeah. Some of the some of the biggest um, challenges for me, I think, was I didn't realise how much it would change my social relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how it sort of felt like I'd entered a mum's group and I'd mm-hmm. I'd left the previous group I was in and no longer absolutely. could connect in the same way. Yeah, yeah, and that's not uncommon at all, is it? I mean, a lot of a lot of women, yeah, feel that way that it changes friendships with. Um, you know, other others who don't, but you know, perhaps don't have children. Is that is that how you felt? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I distinctly remember a conversation with a really close friend who, she said, like after I'd had had the child and she still um, didn't have any children, and she said, uh, I I feel like I can't talk to you anymore without your attention being drawn away. You know, yeah. we we just can't have an in depth conversation anymore. Yes. And I remember, you know, being really hurt by that because yes. I felt I needed to look after my child, but at the same time I valued that friendship. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So could you talk for a moment on the research behind your book? Absolutely. So it's it's grounded very much in acceptance and commitment therapy mm-hmm. or ACT. So there's um, some really good um, evidence now that, that ACT is an effective, an effective intervention. It's at least as effective as other forms of cognitive behavioural therapy and may actually be be um, even more effective. Yeah. Um, it also I also drew on um, other forms of cognitive behavioural therapy that have a mindfulness component, so more mindfulness-based cognitive behavioural therapy more broadly. Mm. Um, I also drew upon um, Paul Gilbert's work, so compassionate mind training, so mm. there's some um, compassion-focused therapy exercises in there and there's some of that flavour that flavour in there as well. Mm. Um, there's also some drawing on um, behavioural activation, which is uh, another strand of the cognitive behavioural therapy mm. type family. So that's basically the the um, principle that, you know, of building up a really rewarding, richly rewarding life. Mm. Um, and that's actually in and of itself an effective way of treating depression. Right. And it's also a very effective way of preventing depression as mm. well. So, um, And you can't sort of look at that early, you know, postnatal period um, without considering the baby as well, of course. So um, it was also informed by um, attachment theory in the sense of understanding that um, if the mo- mother is able to parent in a way that's that's sensitive so that it's taking into account and reading um, and understanding the baby's um, cues yeah. and needs and trying to, as best she can as a human being, um, trying to, um, you know, meet those needs and meet mm. those cues, um, then that's going to be best uh, for baby and for that developing relationship too. Yeah. 
Because um, being responsive to your child is is really important, isn't it? And I guess the foundation of that is that sensitivity and mindfulness would really help there. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's it's a very natural fit, actually, because mm. you know when you think about it, mindfulness, is all about being psychologically present in the here and now. Mm. And where is your baby yeah. <laughs> in the here and now? Yeah. yeah. So if you're psychologically somewhere else, you know you you're already out of the race when it comes to noticing their cues. Um, you've got to at least be psychologically here to be able to notice to notice their cues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sorry, I, I felt like I cut you, cut you off a bit before. Did you have anything more to say on the evidence? The only other thing that I was going to mention as well is that it's also – um, the, the research on showing that, you know, on, on I guess the fourth trimester, mm. on the fact that really human newborns are, you know, they actually really are born quite undercooked mm. <laughs> in comparison to other mammals. Um, so really a human newborn is a, is a lot more, you know, developmentally, neurologically, more like a fetus. Mm. And so we, we do need to keep that in, in mind. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that that is another sort of evidence that that was sort of feeding into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely yeah, wonderful. Um, so there's a lot of mindfulness practice in the book, as we've sort of mentioned. Sure. Um, something I found really liber- liberating in the ACT course I did was the realization that mindfulness doesn't have to involve sitting on the cushion, as you said before, yes. Um, yes. for long periods of time and isn't only a relaxation technique but can be used for other purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, So could you discuss the various uses of mindful practice where you're not actually just sitting on a cushion? Absolutely. So mindfulness is just all about practicing keeping yourself psychologically in the here and now, in the lived moment of what's actually happening in your Mm. So you really can honestly practice mindfulness doing absolutely anything whatsoever like it doesn't matter what the moment is it doesn't matter what you're doing if you're simultaneously you know if you're while you're doing it you're keeping yourself psychologically present Mm. then you are practicing mindfulness yeah so you don't have to find extra time to practice mindfulness one that was one of the great things about it you can Add it on to anything else that that you that you do. Mm. Um, I actually find um, mindfulness practicing mindfulness during interactions with my child. Mm. I actually find that an incredibly enriching, fantastic way to practice mindfulness. It's so um, oh, it's just, it's so enjoyable and it's so. Um, rich in terms of helping my ability to to become uh, more and more psychologically present and more and more mindful and it also just has this wonderful uh, side effect of of really helping me to connect with my child and helping that that relationship yeah yeah I've got some extremely happy memories of wandering down into the park holding Xander's hand when he was a toddler and just being completely present and it yes. was it was lovely. Yes, yes. Mm. When um when my child was really was really little was a little a little baby, I used to often practice it during because she um you know would wake during the night mm. and um 
I would often pra- make a make it a mindful practice to um, pace up and down the hallway <laughs> with her, yeah. and to, to just to actually okay, I have to do this now. I have to get out of bed. I have to you know help her to get back to sleep. But I turn it into a mindfulness practice. Mm. Really be there and really just notice. You know, once you tune in and you notice what it feels like to, you know, hold your child or to, that you know, the, the smell of them, the, the lovely mm-hmm. soft soft hair, the, you just, it's, you realise just how richly rewarding that moment actually is. You know, you might be exhausted or, you know, you know whatever else, but it's just so wonderful to be able to, to be a parent, to have your child there. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, I remember doing a similar thing with um, hugging Xander when he was crying at night and, yes. yeah. and he'd have that witching hour mm-hmm. and, yeah, and hugging him and singing. That was, yes. that was my thing rather than pacing and I was, yes. yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it, is, it is, can be very rewarding but oh. as opposed to doing that same action. Yes. But focusing on what you could be doing, I want to be sleeping, I want yes. to be working, I want yes. to be, and yeah. Exactly, really tuning in and, and, and yeah, being there rather than, mm. yeah, yeah, thinking about what you want to be doing and the fact that you're exhausted yeah. and it's midnight or whatever. Yeah. But just enjoy that moment for what it is. I, I must admit it's one of it's some of my favourite memories of yeah. her being a little baby is, yeah they were just so such precious precious moments yeah amazing how different the exact same physical experience can feel Mm. depending where your mind is absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. that's that's really helpful so do you incorporate mindfulness into your daily routine and sort of how and what does it look like yeah well um I do, um, and I think I said in the last in the last podcast so that I um, have a history of doing more formal mm-hmm. sitting on the cushion type mindfulness daily. So that was something before I had children. Uh, I did for a number of years. Um, managed to just go and you know sit on a cushion and do a mindfulness, mm-hmm. mindfulness meditation every day, um, but. That's not something I'm, I've managed to reincorporate into my life yet. Mm. <laughs> so at, at this point, I, I do a more formal mindfulness meditation where I actually sit on the cushion. Yeah. Um, I, I do that when I can. So yeah. it might happen a couple of times a week. Mm. So most of my mindfulness practices um, are more, you know, within, you know, the day while I'm simultaneously doing something else. And mm. Probably the most common way I practice mindfulness is during interactions with my child. Yeah. Um, but I would also practice it for, um, you know, if I take opportunities, if I've got it for, you know, taking a walk. So if I'm walking to a bus stop, I try yeah. to do that mindfulness, mindfully um, because walking is, I, I find, a really great activity to, to do mindfulness with. So, um, so yeah, I just take the opportunities that, that I can get during the day. Yeah, and I guess mindfulness in an interact- in interaction with your child basically involves attending to the here and now mm. when they're speaking, attending to exactly what they're saying and not thinking <laughs> about what you're going to say next or anything like that. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah wonderful, which can be wonderful for the relationship as well absolutely it just has 
that lovely, yes, secondary benefit that is mm. so fantastic for the relationship. And I think it's, it's a, such a great way of practising mindfulness. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. Um, so you ran us through a mindfulness exercise in the previous podcast as well. Um, yeah. Might you be able to run us through another one that you do in your everyday life as a mother? Do you think that would be Yeah, beneficial? absolutely. So um, I was thinking of doing the, um, the mindfulness of baby, which is a bit of a longer, a longer exercise, mm-hmm. the mindfulness of baby exercise, yeah. uh, also from becoming mum. Just looking oh, forward. Sorry. Um, just thinking about um, people applying this to older kids. Would it would it work to apply to older kids? Or yeah, absolutely. So what I can do is I can um, vary it if you like. The same as I did with the other one to make it a bit more open to yeah. uh, to you know, so it doesn't really depend on the age of the child. So I'll kind of have the mindfulness of baby exercise from becoming mum as a bit of a base, but I'll just sort of, I'll vary it a little bit as we go. Okay, lovely. Thank you. Okay, so start by letting your mind settle gently into the here and now. Notice your breathing. Notice the ground under your feet. And use your breathing in the ground as an anchor to connect you to the present moment. When you're ready, bring your attention to focus on your child. You might like to simply watch your child Noticing what your child is doing right now. Or you might like to go up to your child and indicate that you're available for some kind of interaction. What does your child want to do? Notice your child fully with your eyes. Notice exactly what your child looks like today. Notice his or her face, the details of their features. Really pay attention, like you're seeing him or her for the very first time. If you're interacting with your child, really listen to what your child has to say. Whether your child's using words or babbling, really pay attention and listen. If your child makes a suggestion, go for it. Let your child lead the interaction. If you have physical contact with your child, then really pay attention to what that feels like. If your child climbs into your lap, notice the weight of him or her. If 
If any thoughts arise, maybe they're disturbing <laughs> thoughts, or maybe thoughts about your child come into your head, just let those thoughts go and focus back on your child. You might find that feelings of love for your child arise, or you may not. Either way, this is fine. Just try and be with your child as your child is right now, without pressure on your child or yourself to be any particular way. Bring your awareness back again and again to your child. And when you're ready to end the exercise, do it gently, bringing your increased awareness of your child with you into your everyday life. And that's it. That was wonderful. Oh, thank you. I'm so sorry for my coughing fit. That's okay. I hope I can cut it out. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, that was wonderful. And a really good demonstration of how this can be in our everyday life. Yeah. So I've done mindfulness work and values work separately in the past, um, but I'd never really put them together until reading your book and doing the ACT course. So can you talk a bit about the role values play and how they work together with mindfulness? Absolutely. So um, as I, I said earlier, it might have been the last podcast, um, mindfulness was the thing that kind of brought me to ACT initially. So I was already interested in mindfulness when I, when I became interested in ACT. Um, but the longer I spend um, working with ACT, the more important I think values are <laughs> and the more I see values as actually being absolutely central. Mm. Um, and I think if we, if you look at mindfulness um, as it's been practiced in, say, um, say the Buddhist traditions, and I mean mindfulness practices are there in a number of different religions and you know ways of living and, and philosophies, but um, they're quite a, a strong thread in in the Buddhist tradition. Mm. So it's kind of a helpful way of looking at a you know, variety of ways mindfulness may have been practised by a community over the last, you know, 2,000 years. Mm. And if you look at mindfulness as it's practised in the Buddhist tra traditions, um, mindfulness in Buddhism is practised alongside with that there's three pillars, right, mm. to the path in Buddhism. So one is a kind of meditation pillar um, mm. incorporating mindfulness. The other pillar is ethics, is um, practicing things like generosity. Um, and then the third uh, pillar is wisdom. So being able to understand the world as it actually is. So within the Buddhist tradition, that would be things like um, understanding that, um, you know, nothing lasts forever. Mm. So um, within the, the Buddhist tradition, there's a strong... Um, uh, teaching a strong um, you know, message that's been carried down through the years that the three pillars are, are crucial and that you need to practice all three together. Mm. And, in fact, in many Buddhist traditions, if you start with one, it isn't mindfulness that you start with, it's mm. ethics. Mm. 
So if you if you start somewhere, you start with ethics and then go go from there. Mm. And if you look sort of historically, the times where a, a, a Buddhist um, tradition has seemingly um, gone gone wrong <laughs> mm. has been times where the the mindfulness component has been really quite strongly emphasised at the expense of the the ethics. Um, and, and the wisdom component. So times when, for example, um, a Buddhist sect has actually become involved in, in war and military activity, mm. um, but oftentimes when, you know, that happened, for example, in World, World War II in, J- in Japan, not, not many people know that, but a lot of Zen, um, th- there were Zen Buddhist organisations that were actually quite supportive of the war and, and helped the war effort. And often in that time is where they're really emphasising the mindfulness component, the mindfulness practices are quite strong at that time. Mm. But the the the, the, uh, the idea of generosity and compassion is kind of being lost, and the wisdom has kind of been distorted from that mm. Buddhist, the, the more traditional Buddhist world worldview. So, like one of the things I take I take away from that, looking at that history, is that um, mindfulness is. Being able to be psychologically present in the here and now is incredibly powerful practice. Mm. And mindfulness, whatever path it is you're trying to walk down, being able to do it mindfully with psychological presence will help you to walk that path, Mm. right? But if you're going in the wrong direction, (laughs) it's going to help you get even faster, get to that wrong direction even faster. Mm. So that's where I think the values piece comes into it. You need to make sure you're going in the right direction. Mm. And mindfulness alone can't, can't do that. So if you started a mindfulness practice and you already had quite a good sense of your values, then you might find the mindfulness feeds into that and there's there's no, you know, there's no there's no ill effects, there's no harm. Mm. But certainly um, if you're just beefing up mindfulness with no understanding of your values, it might not actually help you to live the life you want to live at all. It might actually help you to walk in entirely the wrong direction all the faster. So um, I think... Really, yeah, values are, are incredibly crucial. We need to know what direction you want to actually travel in, first of all. Yeah. And um, I just realised we should probably clarify what values are, like as opposed yes. to goals and that sort of thing. Yes. Do you want to speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. So values, um, really, they're what matters most to you. Mm. They're, they're the core ingredients of the life that you that you want to live. So a goal is something that's achievable that you can achieve. So you can set yourself a particular goal and hopefully you'll reach a day where it's done and you can put a little tick in a little box and, yeah. and that's it. Um, but a value by its nature never actually gets achieved. Mm. Um, it's because it's there's always more to do on it tomorrow. So an example of a goal might be, um, you know, I want to have a child. <laughs> I want. I want to become a mum. I want to have a child. You know, you might set yourself that goal, and achieving that goal might be easy or difficult. But you know, you might reach a day. You can reach a day where you're like, right, I just gave birth to a child. Done. Tick. Done. Yeah. But 
being a loving mother would be um, an example of a value. You never get to tick a box and say that that's done. No matter how loving you've been up to this point, you know, you'll still be called upon to be loving tomorrow. Yeah. And that's then the other thing with the values is values are not, um, they're not one little specific thing. So there's many ways to be loving as a mum. And there's ways that you might find suit you better and there's ways that, you know, someone else might have exactly the same value of being a loving mum, but they might do it in a slightly different way. Mm. Um, you might find, you know, the way you're loving to a baby is different to the way you're loving to a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 30-year-old. Mm. So it, cha- it might change from day to day and at different times of your life, but you still have that value to come back to. And that flexibility can also be fantastic because life doesn't always go according to plan. And when life doesn't go according to plan, often our goals just simply get thwarted. You know, they, they, they you know, have, they just don't, can't get, get achieved at all. Mm. We have to come up with entirely new goals. But there's often still some way of living out your values, even if life hasn't gone according to plan. Um, it just doesn't look exactly the same. Even in really quite extreme situations, there's often still some some way. So the 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 parent um, of um, who, who's had miscarriages, for example. Now, being a loving mum to to a baby that's miscarried, it looks very different to yeah. what you were what, what you were hoping to do. But even in that kind of extreme situation, you there might be ways that you can live that value to some extent, whether it's you know writing a lovely piece of poetry or or just you know remembering that 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 little one that you carried for a while or you know there's there's still often some way that you can that you can live that that might be meaningful to you Mm, that's a really important observation actually that living the same value as someone else could actually look very different to how they're living it so I guess I feel like we often look at other parents and go oh they're such a wonderful parent they do this and this and this and I wish I could do that and that and that Um, but really we could be living the same values as they are. We're just doing it in a different way, a way that works for us and a way that works for our situation. And it's not that we're not as good as them. We're just living the same values in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and in fact, you know, it's not going to work very well unless you are flexible Mm. to your situation and to who your child is as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's wonderful insight. Um, so is there anything else you'd like to highlight from becoming mum that our listeners can benefit from? Well, we were sort of talking about, about values. So um, what, I'd, what I'd love to do is to, to read out um, from becoming mum a, a bit of exercises around trying to discover what your values are as that a mum. That would be wonderful. Would that be great? Yeah, that would be excellent. Thank you. Right, so okay. So there's a few different ways you can start to really discover what your values might be as a mum. So I'm just going to, to read out the first little 
imaginal type exercise and you can kind of kind of go through it as 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 um as you listen so imagine being able unseen and unheard to watch and hear your child or your future child if you're still trying to conceive as an adult so you might be 20 or 30 years in the future perhaps so in your mind's eye allow yourself to imagine your child all grown up going about his or her daily life what do you wish for him what do you hope for her to be like what characteristics do you hope to have fostered in him see your child interacting with workmates and friends imagine her in love imagine her interacting with her own children If your child was to show all these characteristics, how might you have contributed to that as a mom? Imagine now that your child, as this adult, is talking to someone about his or her own childhood. Imagine that your child is recalling memories of childhood and recalling what you were like as a mother. What would you hope to hear him or her say about you? Now, of course, you'd probably love to hear your child say that you were a good mother, but push past that to get the, to the specifics. It might help to imagine your child completing one of these sentences. The thing that's really special about my mum is. I'll always be grateful to my mum for. Or I'm lucky I had the mum I had because. What do you really want in your heart of hearts, your child to say? And that's one way to start to get a sense of your values. But I just like to read another one as well because this is another another way into values too that can be can be quite helpful for for, for some people. Yeah. So I now want you to imagine that we've transported you from this this earth to a really special magical place with your child. You can imagine you're there with your child as your as your child is today, or if you like to, you can imagine you're there with your child as a baby or as a bit older, or whatever works for you. Here in this special magical place, there's no one to judge you. There's no pressure to do anything in particular, and your child's quite happy and calm. You just know that in this special magical place, you can do whatever you want as a mum and there's a special guarantee that no harm's going to come to your child. In this place, you're completely protected, both of you, and so there's no pressure to get anything right. This is just special time for you to enjoy your child. If you could just enjoy your child, just enjoy being a mum without needing to get anything right, 
without being fearful of the judgment of others, without pressure from the outside world or from doing things that you think your child might need, what would you do? How would you choose to spend this time? And then why does that matter to you? What is so important about that? Okay, so those are the two ways of trying to get a sense of of your values. Mm. Yeah, really helpful and really important things to think about. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really the two big clues of values is what matters. So stopping and really thinking, you know, getting that longer-term perspective, what at the end of the day actually matters here? What am I trying trying to do? What legacy am I trying trying to leave? Mm. And then the other one is actually is, is joy, is what, what brings joy. Yeah. And not joy in the sense that it's all easy, <laughs> life is all easy, mm. but joy in the sense that that lovely feeling of joy that you can get even if life is also kind of tough. And like a lovely example of that. Um, but for parents would be so for myself when when my um, when my daughter was a baby and you know I'd have to get out of bed and, and walk her back and forth to help her get back to sleep. Mm. Um, you know that wasn't easy. I was exhausted, I, and, and in many ways I didn't particularly want to do that. I would love mm. love to have just rolled over and gone back to sleep in many ways. But when you tune back into the feeling of her in my arms. And, and, and holding her, being there for her that way, that really did feel so good. It always would spark a feeling of, of, of joy. Mm. It didn't take away the exhaustion and the stress that might also be there, but you could tune, I could tune into that. And if you're getting that kind of feeling, if you can tune into that, you know you're acting on something that really is a, a, a value for you. Mm. Yeah, and I guess those exercises could be really helpful for um, not only identifying values but identifying some things that you really enjoy doing with your kids and Absolutely. if you're not doing them as often as you'd like to be, maybe sort of introducing them a bit more into your daily routine. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah wonderful. Okay, um, so where can people go if they want to buy Becoming Mum? So Becoming Mum is um, available um, throughout a number of book retailers. So wh- whoever your usual kind of online book retailer is, so that they, they should have Becoming Mum listed. So um, places like Angus and Robinson, Robinson, Amazon, the Book Depository, all ha- you know, all have Becoming Mum available. Um, if you um, are going to a physical a physical bookstore, they may or may not have Becoming Mum on the shelves, yeah. but certainly they can order at Becoming Mum in for you. Um, it would be great if more people told physical bookstores that they should have Becoming <laughs> Mum on the shelves. So feel free to do that. Yeah. Um, it's also available as an ebook as well. So all of the, you know, the usual ebook retailers will have will have Becoming Mum in all the various formats, and you can also buy it from my website as well. So there's a an actual Becoming Mum website. So www.becomingmum.com.au, and you can get to that link from from my from my website too. Wonderful, fantastic! Sounds like it's everywhere. 
and we yes. just <laughs> tell them to get it into the bookshops. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, feel free to do that. <laughs> Anyone who <laughs> reads the book and likes it. Yeah, awesome. If people want to learn more about you and your work, where where can they go? So the easiest um, place to go is just to go to my my website. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just my my full name. So it's www.coawittingham.com. Great, and I'll include a link to that in the show Fantastic. notes. Fantastic, thank yeah. you. Yeah, wonderful. You can get the show notes for this one at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash COA3, so that's K-O-A-3. Please tune in next time for COA's work on the possum sleep intervention. It really is a very different approach to sleep. I find it a very liberating one. Although COA's published work on the possum sleep intervention focuses on zero to six-month-olds, there is an extended version applicable for six-month to six-year-olds. So if that's applicable to you, please tune in next time.